Seeking mental health care can be overwhelming and even scary, but it doesn't have to be. I'm Dr. Josephine McNary, and I'm committed to making this process easier for you. Each week, my expert guest and I unravel a different form of therapeutic intervention in order to bring comfort and understanding and to help you get back to your true self. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mind Stories. Today, I have the pleasure to speak with Dr. Max Maisel. Dr. Maisel is a clinical psychologist and the founder of Beachfront Anxiety Specialists in Redondo Beach. He has been treating anxiety disorders and OCD for eight years using exposure and response prevention and acceptance and commitment therapy. He works with children, teens, and adults and has a subspecialty in treating tics, Tourette syndrome, and body-focused repetitive behaviors. In addition to his practice, he is passionate about providing workshops on using evidence-based interventions in clinical practice to local doctoral programs. Today, we talk specifically about the pure O in OCD, what it is, and effective treatments for it. Welcome, Dr. Maisel. Welcome. Hi. Thank you, Josephine. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy that you're on and talking to us about a topic that you are quite an expert in, which is OCD. Mm-hmm. That's right. I can talk about OCD all day long. So I'm, I'm really excited for our conversation today. Yeah. And because you could talk about it all day long, I know we discussed, we want to talk about one specific part of OCD, which is the O, the obsessional part of OCD. Yes, that is exactly right. So in particularly, like what people refer to as quote unquote, pure O type of OCD, which technically stands for purely obsessional form of OCD, which I definitely have a lot to say on that. Okay. Well, let's maybe for the listener, can we at least talk a little bit about the O and the C of the OCD? And then we'll focus specifically on like what it looks like if you just have that obsessional part of OCD. Absolutely. Right. So that when we look at the DSM criteria for obsessional OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, the O be the obsession part, right? And obsessions you could think about as any thought, image, urge, even feeling that I like to think about it's really sticky, right? It kind of like stays around and people don't like it. People don't want it. They really want to get rid of it. it. causes immense distress. It can interfere in all sorts of areas of functioning. And the harder they try to get rid of it, unfortunately, the more, the more they have those obsessions. And then compulsions, which is the C in OCD, that's essentially any behavior that people engage in to cope with the obsessions, right? So it's trying to feel better, trying to protect themselves from the scary thing happening, trying to reassure themselves, anything essentially they do to soothe themselves. So you can think about it functionally, where the obsession creates anxiety or discomfort or stress, and the compulsion is intended to reduce it. It doesn't always work that way, but that's why people end up doing compulsions. Right. And if you think about kind of maybe a classic idea of hand washing, right? When people think about OCD, they maybe think about a picture of someone compulsively washing their hands, right? So the obsession is I'm dirty. I need to be clean. Yep. And then the compulsion is washing hands. Yeah, that's right. They have some sort of fear associated with the idea of being contaminated or dirty. And everybody with OC, their their core fears are going to be different, right? Some people might be afraid that they're personally going to get sick. Some people might be afraid that they might get a loved one sick, right? So everybody's own kind of manifestation of OC is going to be quite different, but it's all about the fear. And then the compulsion might be excessive hand washing. Um, It's not the sort of hand washing that somebody without OCD might do. They, They wash their hands 20 seconds. Okay, they feel better. But in OCD, they might feel better at first. But inevitably, their OC is going to want more and more and more to the point where their hands might be incredibly dry, cracked, even like risk of infection sometimes. So 
generally the nature of OC with compulsions, it, it is never enough, right? OC will take an arm, a leg, the whole body. It'll take everything. Hmm. So then thinking more about a picture of someone with just the obsessions, because I think people sometimes have a hard time wrapping their head around. They think of OCD as like these behaviors that someone does, right? Mm-hmm. Much more commonly, people just have the obsessional part of OCD. Right. And maybe give an example of that so the listener can kind of understand that a little bit more. Yes, ex- exactly. So when we think of like pure OOC, which is like the kind of seeming just obsessions or just in their mind, it's interesting, right? Because unlike a hand-washing typical OCD case, you don't see any outward compulsion. This looks very different than like maybe like what you think of a traditional OCD case. But with pure O, purely obsessional OCD, the compulsions are there, but they're invisible. You can't see them. So they're all happening in people's mind. And it could be extremely vicious and debilitating because unlike external compulsions like hand washing or checking the oven or seeking reassurance, oftentimes people with more pure OOC, they don't even realize that they're doing compulsions, right? And like people with PRO, and it is a misnomer in some ways, because like I said, even though in the DSM, the criteria is obsessions and or compulsions, really there's never obsessions without compulsions. And the reason for that is that you can think about compulsions as sort of like the gasoline to the OCD fire and compulsions reinforce the obsessions, which reinforce the compulsions and becomes a whole mess. But in PRO, oftentimes sufferers feel like they're obsessing all day. And I've worked with people that genuinely feel like 12, 14, 16 hours a day, every waking hour, there's a nonstop obsession. But when you take a step back and you start being curious, you actually find out that most of the time it's actually a lot of compulsions happening, but they're mental compulsions, right? They're things that, that we can't see. And if clients aren't aware of the nature of mental compulsions, it's super easy to miss. So here's an example, right? Let's say somebody has like a, a like a core. And, and if you talk to like an OC specialist, it's kind of funny. They'll always say pure O with quotation marks, like pure O, right? Quote unquote. <laughs> Because it's a really helpful term for people that have been struggling with this for years. And they're like, oh my God, I'm not crazy, right? I'm actually, there's nothing wrong with me. This is like a biological disorder. There's, there's a name for this, pure L, awesome. But we also want to be careful that we're catching the mental compulsion piece also, because that's what's going to help them get better. So an example would be, let's they say somebody has an intrusive thought, oh, what if I'm a serial killer, right? I don't think I am. I don't feel like I am, but what if? Right? And note how in OC, there's always going to be this component of doubt, the seed of uncertainty. And people might do a lot of mental compulsions in their minds in response to that fear. For example, oftentimes people might walk through a mall right, to go from A to B, and they stop at their destination and they rewind in their brain. They think about every path they took, every person they walked by, just to make sure there wasn't a chance that they actually hurt somebody. Right? They might offer themselves reassurance. They might tell themselves, I'm not a serial killer. I didn't do anything. I would never hurt somebody. Again, this is all in their mind. If you were looking at them, they might seem zoned out, <laughs> but they're really engaged in all this mental work associated with the fear of being a serial killer. They might also be looking for evidence, right? That's a really common form of mental compulsion where it's like, okay, I would see blood behind me. I don't see blood, but maybe there was blood back in this corner, but some, I would hear a shout. So that means, so it's just constant, this like work, this energy to try to help themselves feel better which can, like I said, just take up so much time and energy and just be absolutely exhausting for people. Yeah, it's interesting. As I mean, I see a lot of OCD in my practice. And as you were giving that example, I think about this idea of, so people with 
more of the obsessional form of OCD or OCD in general, they are not certain of their previous behavior, I guess. There's yep. a lot of doubt about that and a lot of kind of skepticism of like, did I do something wrong? Right. And it's, that's kind of interesting, right? So what is it? Is it's like this in almost this like inability to convince themselves that they're remembering. Yes. Oh yes. That is so true. And when it, yeah, more pure O quote unquote OCD, that's exactly right. And it's interesting because the OCD can jump topics so fast, right? It could be about anything. Like for example, one thing we see people getting vaccines, right? And it's like, did the needle go in my arm? I don't know. Did I feel a pinch? I'm not sure. Did I, oh, did I get enough vaccine, right? So whenever there's like a seed of doubt, that's a possibility of something going wrong, it could become an obsession. And here's why. It's actually pretty fascinating, I think, right? So if you think about it, there is nothing in this world that you can't prove with 100% certainty won't happen, right? Even for myself, like, I don't think I'm a serial killer. There's no evidence, but can I prove with like 100% certainty that I'm not or that I won't become one in 10 years? No, you, you can say that for anything. So what happens with OCD, the thought, the doubt that their OCD tends to pick up on, right? I'll just stick with the serial killer. Like, what if, what if I hurt somebody? I don't know, did I? Or what if I can become a serial killer? They start trying to convince themselves that that's not true, right? They try to find certainty by doing a mental compulsion inevitably, they're not going to find the certainty because like we talked about, that's impossible. And because they can't find the certainty that they're looking for, 100% certainty, their brain goes, whoa, I couldn't disprove for sure that I'm not a serial killer. Oh my gosh, what does that mean? Maybe that means I am a serial killer. So it's so vicious for the more they try to figure it out, to problem solve, to gain information, the more certainty they need because it's scarier it feels. And that's why if it's not treated correctly, people can end up in like constant cycles. I've, I've seen people 30, 40 years, basically nonstop ruminating, problem solving, trying to find certainty. And they don't even, there's no recognition of what's happening or of like how OCD is tricking them into maintaining itself. It's really, really vicious. Hmm. That kind of helps explain why it's not a rational disease, right? And so... <laughs> Me talking to you, I'm like, well, of course you're not a serial killer. Like that doesn't make any sense, right? Yeah. But like you said, it's like there's this irrational part of it that takes a seed of uncertainty yeah. and really magnifies that. Yes, it's an emotion disorder. It's not a thinking disorder, right? People, and one reason why I love working with OC is because generally people with OC tend to be someone like the most intelligent, kind of compassionate, kind people, right? And and like almost everybody, like a, the vast majority. Of of clients I see like are absolutely like no <laughs> what's going on and like there's no problem with their logic right and it's a brain disorder right their amygdala their fear center is sending out a, a signal that there's danger but with OCD it's the danger is not knowing right the danger is the intrusive thought and that signal tricks them into trying to problem solve it trying to figure it out and that reinforces that idea that the intrusive thought is dangerous so while people intellectually might really understand that this doesn't make sense I know I'm not a circular but in their body, they feel this like pit of doubt and need to know, just need to be a little bit more sure. And at first, maybe it was like mild enough, but the more they give into the compulsions, the stronger the feeling gets and the more, the harder it is to tolerate not knowing. So yeah, so people, very common for people to have total understanding that this stuff is totally irrational, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> you can't think your way out of it. That's part of the problem. Right, and right. So that's the idea, like when you're talking about treatments that don't work, like you said, it's not about rationalizing, thinking yourself out of it. So I guess the question is, what is the treatment then? Yes. Good question. <laughs> Glad you asked. So I'm the gold standard for 
OCD, whether it's more of like pure O form or not pure O form or combination, is exposure and response prevention, right? ERP and, and people, especially nowadays, are being really good at like integrating other forms of evidence-based treatment, right? Like acceptance commitment therapy, mindfulness, being able to integrate whatever works. But essentially what you want to do is have people be exposed to the scary thing, right? Kind of activate their amygdala on purpose and face it and be brave in the face of it. But instead of doing what their OCD wants them to do, which would be a compulsion, and we're talking about, talking about pure O, usually it's going to be like a rumination, right? They're going to, OCD wants them to get certainty, wants them to figure out. But if we can teach people skills to let go of solving it and to allow the uncertainty to be there without having to make it go away or without interpreting it, just kind of get comfortable feeling the discomfort, eventually the brain recalibrates. Eventually the brain's like, oh, okay, I see what's going on here. Okay, I can live with uncertainty. I don't need to spend all of my time, energy, and life force trying to figure out this unsolvable problem. So ERP would definitely be the answer to your question. Works really well. Well, using the example (laughs) that you gave earlier, what would be the first step in treatment then? Well, so the first step with OCD, pure O form for sure, would be education. I never start exposures to anybody unless we're 100% clear on like what's happening. How does OCD work? What's the role of compulsions and getting a really clear sense of like why we're going to face our fears and why trying to solve the problem or trying to feel better is actually exacerbating the problem. So the first step would really be walking people through and like making sure we're having the same language and we're really clear on like what OCD is and how it works. And then the next step, I would really want to get a good list of all the different compulsions people are experiencing, right? How it's manifesting, how essentially like how OCD is bullying them around, how it's pushing them around. (laughs) And you want to start intervening, starting with one or two compulsions and helping people work on them. Mental compulsions, physical compulsions, essentially want to do the same thing. We want to either ignore them, we want to change the compulsions, create some flexibility in them, or we want to do the opposite of what the compulsion wants them to do. And then the other part would be coming up with clients, coming up with a list of scary things and having them slowly but surely in a very strategic way face their fears without doing compulsions. The tricky thing is with mental compulsions, as a therapist, you can't see clients like necessarily. You might, you might, if you're paying attention, you might kind of notice they're dissociating a little bit or zoning out. But ultimately, we're going to have to be really clear and come up with a strategy of how we're going to address mental compulsions. Because if you do exposure exercises and continue to do compulsions, even mental compulsions, that's no longer ERP. That is more OCD, right? So if we're going to do good, solid exposure therapy, we need to have people face their fears without doing rituals or compulsions, and then they'll start feeling better. And then they'll start being able to take power away from the OCD. Right. It seems very simple, but it actually, the treatment is hard. Yes. And it tells the clients, it's not rocket science. We, we have a good understanding of how OCD works, of how we treat OCD. But when you're in the trenches with your client, it, it, this is like some of the hardest work that these clients will ever do in their lives. I know I'm talking about it sort of in this casual way, but this is we're asking people to do things that every neuron in their brain like, wants them to avoid. So, that, <laughs> so that, that's why, of course, like, we, we want to be incredibly compassionate both with our clients and have our clients be compassionate with themselves and, and be mindful of all the different factors. But essentially being able to slowly but surely have people learn that their OC doesn't have to, have to be in charge of them anymore. And sometimes it's 10, 20 sessions, people feel a lot better. Sometimes it's a lot longer. But once people kind of get a hang of it and start seeing their OC for what it is, it, it does, it just, it loses so much of a grasp on them. And it's really pretty powerful stuff. Even people that I've seen having OCD for, for all, all their life, just like 
understanding how it works and like starting to practice letting go of compulsions, they could experience progress pretty quickly. And I wonder also, I'm thinking about a listener listening to this, this idea of, I mean, everybody worries about things. Everybody has some degree of irrational fear about certain things, right? Certain stimuli. I guess what I'm wondering, kind of thinking about what a listener might wonder about is, sure. when does that cross the line? When does like a worry become OCD or mm-hmm. the O part of the OCD? So a couple of things, like, like you said, just everybody has worries. That's what the human brain does, right? It, it worries. And that's not OCD. First off, like usually the worry with OCD feels called ego dystonic, where it's not just like a general worry. It feels like it's like totally against the sort of person you want to be, right? And it usually, not always, but usually OCD is kind of weird, right? You're not necessarily worried about like your car running out of gas or about being fired or you're worried about like being a serial killer or dying from HIV from a doorknob or did I like do something absolutely horrible or if I have this thought, is that going to lead to like something really awful happening, right? So like the content of it tends to feel kind of weird, but also like really like scary and against who the person is. And it usually comes back over and over and over, right? It's not a worry that you can just address, feel better. I'm worried about work. You talk to someone you care about, you get some reassurement. OC is going to want more, right? And you're also going to feel, you're not just going to have the worry. It's not just going to be like, oh, I wonder, hmm, that would be unfortunate if something bad happens. Yeah. Oh, that sucks. Okay. It's going to be like, do something about it, right? Tap three times and spin around and, and pray five times, right? You need to do that right now or else something bad will happen. So it's going to demand something of you, something that you're not going to want to do, but you're going to feel compelled to do, right? So that's called a compulsion. Got it. So I was I was just thinking about the case of like someone being worried about being fired. I guess if it was just a worry, you would just worry about it and worry about it, worry about it. There wouldn't be more like fuel behind that. It depends. So now if we're getting into more like generalized anxiety disorder category, if you think about it, right, and usually the content is different. Like in, in general, anxiety is going to be more day-to-day worries that don't quite feel as rational, but are still quite unlikely. Like if you're actually going to be fired from your job, right, you probably want to do something about it. But if it's a generalized anxiety, it's like likely you're not, but it feels like you might. And unusually, even with the GAD, there are mental compulsions that do actually feel it, right? And one of the biggest ones you see in GAD is think about rumination, Right? So it's like mentally problem solving. So somebody might have the fear, what if I get fired? And part of the problem is they take that fear seriously. Unlike what you were saying, Josephine, where they're like, oh, oh, my brain had a worry. That makes sense. Moving on. They're like, oh, what does this mean? Why am I having a thought? Maybe I'm at risk for getting fired. I certainly feel like I might get fired. Right. So they attach too much power to the thought. And then they start trying to figure it out. Right. They might go through the evidence. They might start rechecking emails. They might be afraid to ask questions because that might lead them to get... So they start doing all this stuff and those will certainly fuel the power of the worry. So just like with the OCD, essentially what you want to do is help people learn to be okay with the uncertainty to to have them learn that just because they have the uncertainty or just because they have the worry doesn't mean anything bad's going to happen. That's just the brain doing what brains do. And when we respond to the worry like it is important, that is the very thing that makes it feel important. Right. Yeah. The more and more I work with anxiety, you realize, like we said earlier, like it's simple in some ways, but really complex in others. Yes, for sure. And the work is hard because we're like, what we're asking clients to do with anxiety is literally like manually override their brain's flight or fight system. It's like an anxiety disorders. 
it's a brain problem, right? The brain is sending out a signal that there's serious danger when we look around and we know there's not, but our old, you know, hundreds of thousands of years old lizard brain is like acting up. And we have to manually override that and take the hit. And that's, it's not fun. It's not pleasant. And it's the short-term discomfort for like long-term peace and tranquility and getting your life back. So it's wor- for me, and many of my clients, it's worth it in the end, but it does it takes patience and it takes time and energy and it is, it's hard, hard work. And I will say though, oftentimes after going through like CBT or ACT or ERP and clients face their specific worries, they actually feel stronger afterwards, right? Because like a lot of people who don't have OC, don't have anxiety disorders, then they're never kind of forced to address these really important human experiences like uncertainty or doubt, things that we're all going to come up on. And ERP kind of pushes that a little bit sooner. And I think it could be beneficial in ways above and beyond like OCD specifically. Great. Yeah. And I also kind of thinking about one, uh, one question I often ask my guests is, you know, why, why did they choose this as their specialty? And I will let you answer, but I, I also will answer for you to some, to some degree. <laughs> Probably Make my job easier. <laughs> there's a degree of like satisfaction to see these people get better, yeah. right? Yeah, you nailed it. I, so in graduate school, my first two clients, right? It was like an OCD case and it was a social anxiety disorder case. And I always had a very different view of therapy. It's like, oh, we're going to, you know, talk, talk for years and years and gain insights. And, but I, it was like very like exposure and response prevention and act based treatments. And, and these clients got better relatively quick. And it was very, very involved and very empowered to make changes and learn tools. And for me, it was like incredibly gratifying to see. And especially now, like when a lot of the clients I see, and I don't want to speak for other people, but like in like OCD specialists, I know like, it's usually the case where people have been through a lot of therapy in the past um, that didn't directly address the OCD. And once they kind of understand OCD's role and like how you work with OCD, it's a, it's a total game changer. And yeah, it's, it's really, it's a privilege to, to do this work with people. Yeah. I, I really enjoy it. Yeah. Well, before we say goodbye, I mean, maybe that was a good ending, but <laughs> before we say goodbye, anything that you want to leave the listener with before? Yeah, I, I just say like one piece, that's just important to take note of is like in OCD, one of the most common experiences because of the nature of OCD is a sense of shame, right? People, hey, this is hard stuff. I know I could talk kind of casually about it. And I do this work so much where sometimes I feel like there's nothing that can surprise me in terms of what the brain can latch onto. But, but people with OCD, they feel just, it, it really takes a hit to their soul and everything they care about. And I would just want to let, people struggling know that they're absolutely not alone. And the reason they feel so much shame probably is because that's what OC is intended to do. OC takes what you care most about. Like it shows you your values. It shows you what's important and weaponizes it <laughs> against you. So just because you have a really scary intrusive thought, that doesn't mean that's true about you. That doesn't mean anything other than your, your OCD found something, found a chink in your armor and it's using that to attack. And there's a lot of lot of good help out there for sure. So uh, hang in there, and um, there's there's lots of good stuff we can do with OCD. Yeah. Well, thank you for being on. I appreciate you sharing your expertise, and I'll make sure your information is on the episode description. Awesome. Thank you so much. This was great. Thanks. This has been Mind Stories with me, Josephine McNary of Cal Psychiatry. With online psychiatry in California and 13 offices throughout Southern California and the Bay Area, 
Cal Psychiatry specializes in medication management, ADHD, anxiety disorders, alternative therapies, women's mental health, and more. Visit us at calpsychiatry.com and let us help you get back to your true self. Thanks for listening to Mind Stories, and don't forget to subscribe. Subscribe.